to St. James Lutheran Church. I'm glad that you're joining us uh, wherever it is that you're watching from. A couple of notes real quick. Uh, we talked, uh, if you watched last week, we talked about the potential of online giving. And uh, we believe that we're getting close to having that ready. It, actually, you can give online right now if you go to the church's website. At the top of the church's website page, uh, along the address bar, there is a give option. If you click on that, it'll open up a page where you can give there. Now, on your mobile device, uh, you'll have to click on the orange important banner at the very top. And that will take you to a page where there's some text and about two or three paragraphs down There'll be a link in that text, and if you click on that, you'll be able to go to the place where you can give. Uh, we're working on that. Hopefully, we'll be able to get the uh, mobile um, the, uh, the mobile address bar working so that you can give uh, straight from the homepage. And as always, too, uh, if you uh, don't feel like doing that online, you can uh, give by sending your check here to the church. Uh, also, uh, we're thinking about and working on options for Sunday morning Bible study as well with some sort of uh, a Google Meet or Zoom page where we can, whoever wants to, can get together and we can study uh, the Bible together from our uh, various locations. And uh, we're not going to do that today. We don't have it set up yet, but more on that later. Okay, let's go ahead and begin worship. And also, uh, 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 just another reminder, if you want to follow along with the order of service, you can find that on the church's uh, website too. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. I'm going to pray the prayer of confession, and I would invite you to pray along with me in your heart. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, Filled with mercy and steadfast love, we are embarrassed to come before you, for we have rebelled against your wisdom and have gotten into trouble. For we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether. And therefore we are embarrassed. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, and to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, Incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy. On the ground of your great mercy and the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray, for he is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all your sins. Hear the gospel of Christ from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The psalm reading for this morning, uh, for this Sunday, is Psalm 130. It is the fifth of the six penitential psalms. And it goes like this. David said, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The Old Testament reading is a classic uh, resurrection story. And in fact, uh, we have two resurrection readings for today, the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading. It's just kind of interesting here in Lent, a couple weeks before Easter, to do resurrection readings, readings which which feel more Eastery than Lenty. And yet, uh, the resurrection is something that we long for too. As we uh, hear during Lent, as we're waiting and hoping for and anticipating a Holy Week, we're not just waiting for... Uh, Christ, uh, the celebration of Christ's death on the cross. We're also waiting for the celebration of his resurrection. So these are appropriate readings any time of the year. From Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. In other words, they were, these uh, uh, people had been dead a very long time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. But the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And now the Gospel reading. This is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. From John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, 
but was still in the place where Martha met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Well, uh, that's a great reading and it would be worthwhile talking about it, but I'm not going to this morning. I'm going to talk about Psalm 130. And the reason is, if you've been uh, worshiping with us on Wednesday evenings, is that we've been walking through the penitential psalms. And uh, there's not enough Wednesdays in Lent to get to all six of them. And by doing one of the psalm readings, which it showed up in the, uh, Psalm 130 showed up in the pericopes for today, I'm able to hopefully get to all of them this Lent. And Psalm 130 is a great one. Uh, it's a great psalm. Uh, like all the penitential psalms, it's fundamentally about depression. It's fundamentally about the brokenness of spirit that comes to humans when they honestly start to face up to who they are in a broken world. There's different reasons why in in all the penitential psalms, the psalmist is struggling with depression, and there's always uh, various reasons. I mean, there's some overlap between the penitential psalms. Uh, but sometimes it's because of guilt for sin. Frequently it's because of guilt for sin. Uh, sometimes it's because of uh, physical pain or physical ailment. Uh, sometimes it's because of abandonment. Uh, the psalmist has been abandoned by people close to them. Uh, but there's different reasons, and they all sort of work together to create a sense of despair and hopelessness that the psalmist has to grapple with. I- I'm really glad that this is in Scripture. I'm glad that Scripture isn't Uh, consistently triumphalistic, Uh, because honestly, I frequently grapple with my own brokenness and with depression. And to have a place to go in God's Word where uh, uh, that attitude, that uh, that sense of despair and loneliness and brokenness uh, isn't poo-pooed or swept under the rug because it's not polite or because it betrays a sense of failure that we don't want to give off in Christianity. To have a place like that to go in Scripture is super encouraging, and most of all, of course, as we'll see this morning, because those places consistently lead us to the God who is the hope for the healing of our despair and our brokenness. 
So if you don't mind, let me read Psalm 130 one more time to us. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here we see in Psalm 130 that the primary cause for the psalmist's despair here is his own sin. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So this is a penitential psalm, and like I said, all the penitential psalms uh, deal with grief. We get one more clue that this sort of despair is what the psalmist here is fighting with. In verse 1, the first line is, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you at the very bottom of existence. I'm at the lowest of the lows. I'm in the depths. Frequently in the Old Testament, the word depths has to do, it's marine language. It has to do with the ocean being in the bottom of the ocean. I'm going to give you a couple examples here real quick. From Exodus 15.5, this is the song that Miriam and the people of Israel sing after God has used the Red Sea to swallow up the Egyptian army. And about that Egyptian army, the song goes, that Miriam wrote, the song goes, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Into the depths there is drowning language, covered over by this sea and drowned is into the depths. In Ezekiel 27, we just read a text from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is prophesying in Ezekiel 27 against the city of Tyre. Tyre was a famous city on the um, uh, west of Israel, right on the coast of the Mediterranean, famous for being a trading city. And in Ezekiel 27, Ezekiel pictures Tyre as this huge, beautiful sailing ship that gets sunk. In Ezekiel 27, 34, Ezekiel says, Now you are wrecked by the seas. In the depths of the water, this ship sinks and goes down into the depths. And the city of Tyre has been destroyed. Into the depths. Uh, One more, and if you were with us for our Jonah series, you'll remember this language from the psalm that Jonah sings in Jonah chapter 2. where He's in the belly of the great fish under the water, and he says to God, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. It's language of like, being hopelessly covered up, being floundering, uh, drowning, suffocating underneath the weight of your own grief and depression. And and really, there's no escape from it. If if there's a hand clapped over your face, you can grab that hand and move it. But if you're at the bottom of the ocean drowning, there's nowhere to go to escape from it. This is what the psalmist is grappling with. The problem, so let's talk about the problem of this psalm. The problem is the problem of depression. The solution in the psalm, just to get to it real quickly, is God. God is the answer to the problem of brokenness and hopelessness and despair. In the psalm, um, uh, first of all, I should tell you this about the psalm. It's one of the psalms of ascents, and uh, um, ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, the psalm of going up. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 are a collection of short psalms. And we're really not sure uh, what the provenance is. We're not sure why they were written. Some people say uh, they were written to celebrate Solomon's rebuilding of the temple. Uh, Some people say they were written specifically for travelers, Jewish travelers going up into the Judean hills for the three great festivals to get to the city of Jerusalem. 
They're called Psalm of Ascents because they're psalms about going up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Or they might even be about, we're not sure exactly, but they might even be about psalms of going up the 15 stairs that led up into the temple. At any rate, we know for a fact that these psalms are all about going to the temple to worship. The solution, whatever the solution is here in Psalm 130, it's going to be God-centered. It's, it's about going into the presence of God and worshiping him there. In fact, we see this in the psalm. If you look at verse 1 again, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. It starts off with this despair. I'm in the depths. I need mercy. But it ends with hope. It ends with redemption. Oh, is Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So if the problem is despair and hopelessness and depression, the solution is God. The solution is God. Sometimes we like to think of God as a solution to maybe, our, for those of you who are Christians, as a solution to our sin problem. But other problems have other solutions. And I'm not, there, there definitely is, if you're struggling with depression or despair or hope, hopelessness, like the writer of the penitential Psalms. There's definitely certain things that you can do to help out. You can eat well. You can exercise. uh, You can take medicine if that's what you need to do. But ultimately, the answer to the problem of despair is God, is this ascent up into the presence of God. It's there that we'll find redemption and forgiveness and hope. Now, I don't have a technique for you. Like, how do you do this? There's not like four easy steps to getting healing. It's a process, and it's about relationship. But one of the things I can do this morning is I can give us three principles from Psalm 130 about what this looks like, things we should be looking for, things we should be focused on as we're on this path from brokenness to healing in Jesus Christ. And the three things are this. First of all, healing comes from the Word. Second of all, healing comes fueled by patient hope. Healing comes fueled by patient hope. And then third, healing comes for community. So healing comes from the word. Healing comes fueled by patient hope. And then third, healing comes for community. Let's talk about the first one for a minute here. Healing comes from the word. Look at verse five with me. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. In in, in God's word, I hope. Maybe right now you're thinking about when I say God's word, you're thinking about the Bible. And that's totally appropriate. You should. Don't think of it as a place that you go to read about God, a place that you go to get information. Frequently we use books for that. Think of it as a word from God, as a conversation with God. Ultimately, think of it as a relationship with God. See, sometimes, uh, and this is what God wants, he wants to be the source of our healing himself. Sometimes we think about the Bible as a sort of a, a technique book. A list of directions for struggling with, for instance, the emotions that surround depression and despair. And so what we'll do is we'll say to God, you know, God, I'm just so lonely. Can you help me? And God will come to us and he'll say, yeah, you're lonely. Like, come be with me. Like, I want to spend time with you. And we say, oh, okay, I get it. You want to spend time with us so you can tell us how not to be lonely. And God says, no, actually, I want to spend time with you because by spending time with you, you will cease to be lonely. We go go to God and we say, God, I, I, you know, I want, I'm struggling with guilt. I need relief from my guilt. And God says, okay, come be with me. And we say, okay, good. And then when we're with you, you'll tell us how to not be guilty anymore. And he'll say, no, actually, you being with me will take away your guilt. 
See, what God wants is not to primarily to give us information. What God wants is to give us himself. Remember, this is a song of ascents. It's a song about going up into the presence of God. The temple was the place, I mean, it was the place where the priest and the Levites taught and sang. It's a place where the sacrificial system happened. It's a place where you went to get forgiveness of sins. But ultimately, all that's the case because the temple is fundamentally the place where God lives. And now we know that God lives in Jesus Christ, and he wants to have a relationship with us. So first of all, healing comes from the person of God, from being close to God. And there's all different kinds of things that you and I do to grapple with our depression. It could be eating, it could be uh, shopping, it could be whatever it is. It could be uh, um, uh, activities like uh, exercise, it could be just sort of grousing about it. Some people deal with depression by complaining. It could be turning to bad things like porn or uh, drinking too much. And God wants us to turn our back on those false idols. And maybe it doesn't feel like if you go to God's word that there will be healing there. But that's what he's saying. The psalmist is saying, in the word of God, I hope for healing. And so go to the word. We need to be people of the word. And if you're not in God's word, if you don't have a regular diet of feasting on God's word, you're not going to be close to God himself. And you're going to grapple with brokenness in ways that are completely inappropriate, in ways that are not healthy, in ways that don't lead to redemption. Be in God's word. Be reading God's word all the time, asking him to speak to you, to be close to you, to develop a relationship with you in his word. Second of all, healing comes fueled by patient hope. It's important that I say this after God's word because I don't want to give off the impression that if you have your devotions today, that if you spend 15 minutes reading the Bible, which is super good, and it's totally a step in the process of being with God and his word, that somehow just by having your devotions today that all your problems will be solved. There's a lag time here. The brokenness of this world means patient waiting is necessary. There's no easy cures. There's no easy solution. There's no button that you can push to have your problems fixed. Instead, redemption is going to take a lot of waiting. The psalmist says this in verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Where do we see the patient waiting in here? Well, one one place we see here is this fantastic double line at the end of verse 6. More than watchman, my soul waits for the Lord More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. So the watchmen are the the, the guys who are assigned in time of war to stand on the walls of the city and look out into the darkness, looking for the enemy in case the enemy decides to attack at night. It's a lonely job. If anybody's been in the military and been assigned to guard duty, you'll know that frequently it's hard to stay focused in the middle of the night with an enemy that might not come, but might come. In that moment, the watchman will be waiting, just waiting for the sun to come up, waiting for the relief of the night being over. And the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Why would, this, why would the psalmist repeat that line two times? This is poetry, right? So the psalmist is evoking an emotion, evoking, an, evoking an image that should create a feeling inside of you. There's another place where this occurs. Do you guys know the uh, famous poem by Robert Frost, Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening? Uh, if you don't know it, you didn't go to fourth grade because I think that's when everybody's required to memorize that as a kid. 
But it's the poem about the guy who's in his horse-drawn carriage, and he's going by uh, some woods at, at night, and it's snowing, and he stops to watch the snow falling in the wood. And the very last stanza of that poem goes, These woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Robert Frost was asked why he duplicated those last lines, and he famously said, because I couldn't think of anything else to rhyme with sleep. But this actually isn't the case. He didn't need to rhyme anything with sleep. The rhyme scheme in the poem is different than that. But he actually did it to evoke an emotion, this sort of like quiet waiting. Like the, the, the guy watching the snowfall has some place to go, and it's miles away, so he's got a long drive ahead of him, but he's going to pause in spite of the fact that he's got a, something way out in front of him, he's going to pause for a while and watch the snow falling. And that emotion of that quiet sort of rest, there's something that's coming up, but I'm going to be calm and I'm going to wait for it, is being evoked by the psalmist when he duplicates this line here. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. As the watchman patiently waits for the sun to come up, so we too have to patiently wait for God to act, to save us sometimes. No easy solution. Lots of, it could be years. could be decades of waiting, patiently waiting for God to act. One more place that we get this is in the line, right at the beginning of these, the, the word right at the beginning of this double line, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. How do you wait more? You can wait longer, I mean. You can wait longer, possibly. I don't know if that's what, Uh, the psalmist means here? Probably not. How can you wait more? I think the psalmist is saying that there's different kinds of waiting. The watchman on the wall waits a certain way. I'm waiting in a more intense, more powerful, more hopeful way. Look, there's a different, there's different types of waiting, right? I mean, there's the type of waiting when you're you're sitting in your car, waiting, waiting for your mom to come out of Target, that's a certain type of waiting. But there's also a waiting for a fun vacation. That's a different type of waiting than waiting for some. There's a type of waiting like sitting in the lobby of the doctor's office uh, before uh, a tense, uh, maybe uh, bad news-filled meeting. That sort of waiting is different than waiting for your wedding day. And what the psalmist here is saying is, I'm hoping, like I'm waiting patiently, but I'm hoping and longing for God to act. These two qualities are super important together. The patience and the hoping. See, you can, you can hope, but without patience, that won't be helpful. There are many people who have hoped and longed to get married, but when it didn't happen, they've lost patience and made decisions that were damaging to their life, made relationship decisions that were wrong and hurtful. There's also, it's also possible to keep the patience but lose, to lose the hope. We know people who've kind of waited for their ship to come in or waited for their relationships to get fixed. And over time, they've been patient, but they've just become bitter and alienated because they've lost hope. And a true biblical understanding of God's plan of salvation for us as individuals is to maintain the hope and maintain the patience, to wait for God to act because we know he does, The end of the psalm says this. But to be patient and let him do it. Not try to push the envelope. Not try and push the buttons ourselves, but let God act to rescue us. So healing comes fueled 
by this patient hope. This, and let me just encourage you that if things aren't going the way you want them to go, if you're struggling with something and you just don't see relief, stay close to God. Keep on trusting Jesus. Be patient. He promises that he will redeem you. And now the third thing. Healing comes for community. Healing comes for community. When God heals us, he heals us not primarily as individuals, but he heals us for his whole family. Verse 1 starts off this way. To go back there. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Out of the depths I, the individual, cry to you. O Lord, hear my voice. At the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is very focused on his individual problem, the brokenness that he himself is struggling with. But by the end of the psalm, see what happens? God has turned him through this patient hope and the redemption that's in Christ. God has turned his heart away from his individual problem to the redemption of the whole family of God. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see, in the Bible, the fall is primarily about the destruction of community. Adam and Eve sinned, and this close relationship they had is torn apart by blame, by alienation. Cain and Abel right after them. The family relationship is supposed to be the most close and most sacred of all family, all community relationships. And yet, here's a brother killing another brother. See, this is the Tower of Babel. Sin causes God to alienate the peoples from each other by dividing up their language so that they can't understand each other. Sin causes alienation. But Jesus causes community redemption. Jesus brings people back together. Think about the disciples that Jesus called, 12 separate guys from different sorts of walks of life, different ideologies, different political parties. There are people who work for the Romans and there are people who are revolutionaries against the Romans. And he starts to bind those back together in himself. Think about the very first Pentecost. What does the Holy Spirit do? He starts to heal the the communication division by languages and starts to bring people from every ethnicity and language group into this one family of God and Jesus Christ. Think about all of Paul's language about the body of Christ, where he saves us, not to save us to be our individual Christian units, but to save us, to include us in part of a body so that we can belong to a larger whole and be on our own a smaller part of what ends up being much bigger than the sum of the parts, the body of Jesus Christ. And the degree to which you and I grasp the gospel, the degree to which you and I grasp that our healing comes in patient hope of the redemption that's in Jesus Christ's death, is the degree to which we will see these things in terms of community, in terms of the body of Christ. Maybe this seems like a kind of a cruel or weird thing to say right now since we're all separated from each other, cooped up in our homes. Uh, But several things. First of all, part of this being cooped up in our home, perhaps, I don't want to stretch this point too much uh, because maybe there's nothing to it. Perhaps this is God giving us our postmodern desires. We as postmoderns have longed to be our own individual units for so long Maybe a part of what's going on here, let me emphasize, a part is God saying to us, fine, be on your own. Be separate from community. Let's see how long you can survive. And I know a lot of us are struggling with the sort of loneliness of not seeing the people that we're usually close with and spend lots of time with. Let this be a time where we can reflect on that and resolve that in the name of Jesus, 
by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are going to be committed to the church of Jesus Christ. Not Christ for me, but Christ for us. Another angle on it is this. Some of us now, some of you are focusing on a community that maybe you should have been focusing on more all along, but you've kind of drifted away from. A lot of us are spending time with our families that we hadn't spent before because we all went off to work and to school and we had our hobbies, different things that we went off and did. And now that's not possible and we're spending a lot of time with the people that we should be closest to. Let me emphasize again that this is a great time in the name of Jesus to focus on that relationship, to focus on your family, to spend time in God's word together, to spend time getting to know each other and finding out what it means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in community with your family. God longs to save us. He longs to save us, but he longs to save us for community because us being saved for community is a sign that God's word, in other words, he himself, is powerfully at work, creating in us a heart of patient waiting for him to redeem us. He promises to do it. He's already begun to do it in Jesus Christ. He promises that he's bringing it to completion even now. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us uh, in this time of fracturing and disenfranchisement and being separated from each other. I pray that you would help us to find the hope of the gospel in community, separate though we are, in the community that you're creating, the body of Christ. Give us patient hope in you, Lord. We all of us, every single person who's listening to this right now, including myself, we all struggle with depression and hopelessness to some degree. Sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's better. We all struggle with this. We are all in the depths sometimes. We need you to rescue us. We need you to lift us up into your presence. And we know that you've promised to do this in your son, Jesus Christ, who you've bound us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may, as we focus on his death for us and his resurrection for us, may we be lifted up once again to this patient hope in your salvation, which you've promised your people. This morning, we want to pray, as we all have been, hopefully, pray for all the people that are struggling with this sickness that separated us. We want to pray especially for our healthcare workers, uh, some of whom are listening right now, Pray that you would protect them. Father, it would be a deep crisis if our healthcare community began to take a devastating toll by becoming sick as well. And so we pray especially that you would keep them safe and healthy and that you would give them wisdom, that you would supply them with the needs they have to do the job that you've called them to do. We pray that you would heal us from this sickness. We pray that you would heal us from all sicknesses. I also want to pray especially this morning For all our school teachers, and there's a lot of school teachers who are watching right now who are scrambling and have been scrambling like crazy to change the way they've done education. This uh, has uh, forced uh, many of them to do things that they haven't done before, to find out ways to educate their students in innovative and creative ways since the students can't be with them. And I pray that you would be with all the teachers as this added level to their work is certainly going to take a toll for the next month or so. And we want to pray for the students who are going to have to learn in a new way. And Father, uh, finally, uh, we're, separate, uh, we're separated from each other uh, by space right now, but in your Holy Spirit, we are all still one together. I pray, Lord, that even in, this, even in the midst of this, uh, this uh, separation, that you would give us a deep and renewed sense of the community that you are creating in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.
Amen. If you're following along uh, in the bulletin, uh, we're going to say the Nicene Creed now. Let's confess our Christian faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. of woe cry to thee in trial and tribulation bend down thy gracious ear to me Lord hear my supplication Must fail to 
universe.